to skip. So for those of you who made it today and weren't sure if you should skip today or next week, next week we're outside, so you should have skipped today. You missed your chance. Um, but seriously, next week is service on the lawn. Mike had asked me, hey, is there any way there's some of our people who um, don't have transportation, they, they walk here or take the bus here. We'll have a van here at 920. It'll leave at 930 to go to the other property. All right. Um, I'm not trying to be mean. It just it takes 15 minutes to get there, and I don't want the van driver to miss the start of service. So if you would like to join us next week and you take the bus here or walk here, just be here. We'll have a van. It'll take you over. We would love to have you be a part. And if, like, if the van is so full, it's a, like a 12-passenger van, but if it's so full I need to do two trips, we'll do it. And um, so, you know, be here. I know that's early, but be here at 920 and we'll head over in the van by 9.30 so that uh, those of you who would like to join us for that service on the lawn, and then we'll get you back to here also. I'm not just going to leave you there and say, now, nah, finish for yourselves. Um, it is a potluck picnic, so if you want to bring something along to share, go ahead. If you say, Jeff, I can't afford to bring something along to share, that's okay. You still come. You still enjoy. We still, we're a family, and family, we, you know... Some people are going to bring three salads. I just know it. They just do. Some people feel the need to do that. Somebody will bring giant trays of dessert, and I'll go, oh, I shouldn't. But why not? Um, so come. Everybody's invited to come. Whether you can bring anything or not, we invite you to come. The uh, church itself, we provide the meat. We provide the drinks. We provide plates and cutlery. So you know it's a good time when there's plates and cutlery. And then the final thing is that Sunday we'll be doing a baptism. If you haven't been baptized, it's, it's not required for your salvation. There's nowhere in Scripture. But what it says is you're making a public statement that you've decided to follow Jesus. So when people say, oh, is there a class or anything? I always say, no. Well, the one thing I ask is if you want to be baptized and you plan ahead, invite somebody from your world outside of the church. I don't know who, I don't care who. It can be a coworker, it can be a friend. Invite somebody, because it says it's a public profession. And if we just do it in our own little circle, that's not public, that's just community. And we want community there. We've said we want to make a public statement of our faith, a public profession of our faith. So invite somebody. Again, you can't make people come, but you can do your part to say, hey, would you come and see me get baptized? And then I always have spontaneous, almost every time we have somebody who spontaneously goes, yeah, I'll get baptized. So that's always exciting that people see it and the very act of seeing other people get baptized make people go, you know what, I need to do this. So I hope that you'll come out. If you're not out of town, join us. We'll have sunshades up on the lawn. Uh, the service, we keep it tight because of the airplanes. We don't want to go long anyway. And then we'll have lunch together and we usually get out of there by one. It's not that much later than normal. There's a plans to have a big wiffle ball game out on the lawn we already have students talking. See, people are excited. There you go. So if for nothing else, come out to watch uh, people play wiffle ball. I'm glad you're here today. I really am. Um, you know, somebody said, oh, you're sharing about Mexico today. No, that's actually going to be in, I, I give the students a couple weeks after they get back. There's some vacations, but we're going to share about that on the 21st. I'll be sharing about the trip to Mexico. We'll have a video and slideshow. Um, You'll get to see some of the projects we worked on. We did painting and concrete. We did a VBS day camp that we had over 30 kids at. Our women's ministry is the largest we've ever had. We had one day where we had over 30 women, and they're in a kitchen, and it's the size of a, a kitchen. It's not big, 
and we just, it's person to person, and um, it was just exciting to see God doing great things in that church. When I first started going to that church, they would run 15 to 20 people a week. Now, um, on Thursday night, which is their biggest service of the week, is their Thursday night, because Sundays oftentimes the people in the community are working, but their Thursday night service, there were just their people were over 80 plus ours. We pushed it well over 100 people, and it was exciting to just see the growth that I've seen at that church over the years. So um, God is good and faithful to do exciting things in, in other places, and we get to partner with that. So I hope that if you didn't have a chance to before, know that you can continue. We have an ongoing relationship with them, so you can continue to financially support them if you choose to. Just, you know, $5 a month or, or whatever you want to do, just write, Mexico on your tithe envelope at the bottom where it says kind of there's a little list of things and that goes to help us support the church and the orphanage there so all right so today the truth about sin week four past few weeks I've covered a very unpopular subject but it's something that I felt like we needed to talk about um, because of some questions that I'd gotten and so when I was putting this together I thought I've got to make it clear and concise without being judgmental I'm really dry today, so I may be drinking a lot. Um, being in the dust and then the inside the heat outside, you know, the outside in the heat and then inside in the air conditioner plays havoc on my throat, so sorry about that. But we spoke about types of sin the first week. Adamic sin, you are born sinful. To willful sin, you choose to sin because you don't want to change. It's easier than actually dealing with your life. Disobedience sin. We may not even realize it's sin because nobody has shown that to us in our life, but it's still sin. So I realize you could categorize these however you want. That was how I categorized them to better understand. Adamic, willful, and disobedient. We spoke about the effects of sin on your life. How the ultimate effect of sin is what? It's brokenness. It's brokenness in us, which causes us to have brokenness in our relationship with God, brokenness in our relationship with others. Sin leads to brokenness, and sin is also the result of brokenness. So it's a, a circular thing. We're broken, so we sin, we sin, and we break other people even more. And so that's why we want to stop that path and pattern of sin in our lives. Last week, James spoke on the spiritual disciplines to help us avoid allowing sin to take place in our life. Like, we can't become sin-free, but there are certain things you can do to help you move beyond the same sins that you repeat over and over again and over. But when we choose not to deal with those, when we choose not to have a life of spiritual discipline, then we're not going to be able to rise up and move to where God has in store for us. And sometimes it's easier to just ignore the sin or just say, this is just the way I am, or this is the way I was raised, or whatever. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk today about the dangers of hidden sin, the root of sin in our life, and the idea of generational sins, because it talks about it a lot in the Old Testament. So here we go. You ready? Hold on, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> hidden sins. There's various reasons that we allow hidden sins a place in our life. They're the sins that we know we shouldn't be doing, but we try to cover them up. We try to gloss them over. We try to make them look good so nobody sees. A few years back down in Mexico, we were painting on the church building, and there was a gentleman that was there helping us, and there were some holes in the concrete. I said, let's patch the holes in the concrete. He's like, no. And he gets out a piece of duct tape, puts it over, and then paints over the duct tape. Within a day or two, the ends of the duct tape were peeling up, and before we'd ever left, the students or kids or whoever had peeled off, and so now there's holes with a rectangle around that hasn't been painted. You can't just cover it up. 
It's still there. That hole still existed. So then we get patch, some patch stuff, fill the holes, let it dry, paint over it again. Now you go back, and there's still some holes, but you can't even see a lot of the holes because we did something to actually change the holes. Hidden sin is like that. It's holes in the concrete that we cover with something, but everybody still knows they're there. The hole is still damaging to the building and damaging to everything else, and it hasn't fixed anything. And we run air conditioning, and it just pours out. And you can't keep the buildings warm, and you can't keep the buildings cool because there's literally holes, and all we've done is tried to hide them. Hidden sin is the same thing in our lives. It's something that you got a big stain on the rug. You don't want to deal with it. The dog made a mess there. You throw a rug, uh, throw a rug over it. It's still there, and it still stinks. You just now have a splatted place where the rug is covering it. You've got to deal with those things in your life. And if you don't, they're just going to keep coming back over and over and over, and it's going to spread and get messier. It's fear, anxiety, embarrassment, pride. Those are just some of the reasons that we keep these hidden sins hidden. And even though we think, well, nobody knows, nobody can see, the effects are still there. The effects on us personally and the effects on relationships around us are there simply because we didn't really deal with it. And for whatever reason we choose off that list or some other reason to not deal with it, the sin is still there. It's dangerous because it leads to the same results as the effect of any sin. It leads to separation from God, only we think we can cover it up and make it look good. So now we've got separation from God and... Now we have to hide it. And after a while, it gets tired, tiring to try to constantly hide this stuff. And so we get tired of trying to hide it. So we run from the church. We run from accountability. We run from other people in our lives because we don't really want to deal with the sin that's there. We haven't dealt with it. We've covered it up for years. I don't want people to find it out and be exposed, so I'll change churches. I'll move and do something else. I'll keep myself from being seen for who I really am, which is a sinner, even though we all know it. Believe it or not, I know you're a sinner. And yet, we still want to try to keep it. We don't want people to know this. I'll let them see this, but not this. And so we make great ways to make excuses for hiding who we are and who we've become. Instead of becoming who God created us to be in the first place, which requires to deal with the sin, to deal with the pain, to deal with the results, to deal with all of the other stuff around it. It's so much easier for me to pretend it doesn't exist. But it doesn't move me forward in who I was created to become. So now I'm separated from God. I separate from other people. I separate from who God created me to be. All because I'm afraid of what people are going to think. The biblical alignment for this, where we see it throughout scriptures, you can go all the way back to the first book, Genesis. Adam and Eve discover they sinned, they find out they're naked, and they hide from God. And God says, who told you you were naked? You'd always been naked. Who told you? Nothing had changed. It wasn't like they just became naked. He said, you've always been naked. Who told you? How did you find out? Why are you embarrassed? Why are you ashamed? Why are you hiding from me? Okay, he's God. How did he not know where they were? He did. He's asking them this question because he wants to understand where are you at, what, what's going on. God already knows what they've done. David and his encounter with Bathsheba, I never know whether to call it an affair or rape because he's the king and she has no choice but to go. 
So really, the church doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't like to call it what it is, but David took this woman basically against her will. She doesn't have a choice in the matter. So the, we, we like to call it, oh, David's affair and gloss over it, but it's really David's rape of a person who has no control in the situation. And so David takes Bathsheba, and then he's called on it by the prophet, and he's so angry when the prophet says, there was a man who, had one, who only had one sheep, and there was another shepherd on the next hill over that had hundreds. And the guest shows up at the rich shepherd's home, and he goes and he takes the man's one sheep and slaughters it to make a meal for him. And David's so furious, he looks and he says, this man deserves to be put to death. And the prophet goes out on a limb and goes, yeah, that guy's you, and here's what you did. You literally had her husband killed to avoid the embarrassment, to avoid being found out for who you really are. And David falls on his face before God. He repents when he realizes he is that man. And he had covered his sin, and he had kept trying to cover it up. And every time he tried to cover it up, first off, bring her husband home. Let them be together. Everybody will just think it's his child. He refuses to come home. Well, he comes home, but he refuses to go home because the rest of his, his squad is out on the battlefield. Why do I have the right to do this? So then David has the man killed. It just escalates over and over because when we try to hide our sin, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and more elaborate that we have to hide our sin because we can't be exposed because I don't want to be embarrassed because I don't want to find out, let people find out who I really am. So now David has forced a woman to have sex with him and now he's murdered her husband or had him murdered and this is who we look at and God says, he was a man after my own heart. Why? Because when he realizes his sin, he falls on his face, he repents, and he confesses. Hidden sin keeps taking you farther and farther and farther away from God until you can't run anymore. And you either have to hide or you have to give up and admit it. The reason we hide sin in our life can be very varied, but the results are almost always the same. We go farther than we wanted to, farther than we ever intended to, and it's now led us to destruction. And we're desperate to get back in alignment with God, but we keep running the opposite direction because we don't want to admit what we've done. We don't want to face up to the reality of this is who I really am. I have an addiction. I have this. I have that. We don't want to admit it. And so we keep trying to hide it and deny it, but it keeps taking us farther and farther. The roots of sin. The roots of sin is a complicated issue. But when you have an ongoing sin in your life and you've seen it and you recognize it and you can't seem to move beyond it, it's a habit that you can't seem to break. It's oftentimes caused by an actual deeper issue, but you don't know what the issue is. That's the beauty of therapy is it causes you to sort through and find out what's really going on. Not what the outcome is, but what's really going on. I have blueberry plants. Some of you know that. I'm very proud of them. I put more plants in every year. I've got um, seven or eight right now. I got, I'm going to put in three more this year. Good time to plant them is in the fall because you're about to get a lot of rain. And um, my blueberry plants, I get various amounts. I have one that's absolutely loaded. They'll get ripe while I'm gone, I'm sure, and I'll get no blueberries. It's always a race between myself, the squirrels, and the birds. But at the same time, I plant them because I love them. I think they're beautiful. 
And uh, I get these blueberries. And the blueberries are great fruit. They're probably one of my favorite fruit to grow. But the blueberries are nothing if they don't have roots. If they don't have soil, if they don't have something to go down into, they'll be nothing. I have three potted blueberry plants. The potted blueberry plants have beautiful blooms and get the tiniest little fruit, and then it just withers and drops and dies. And there they sit in these nice little, you know, galvanized steel tubs. But they don't really, their roots aren't going down, so you're not getting the fruit. The same thing is true in our life of good fruit or of sin. If you keep seeing the same sin pop up over and over and over and you can't find out why, go back and figure out what's going on. What is causing that? What is the root of that sin? What is it about your separation from God that's causing you to do that? It's a habit you can't break, but it's caused by deeper issues. What's behind the rise of pornography addiction in our country? Pornography addiction, you could say, well, it's because of the easy ease of access on the internet. Or it's because of this, or it's because of that. It, the fastest growing segment of pornography is actually women. So what is causing that? I'll tell you, it's brokenness in genuine relationships. It's ease of keeping the sin hidden. It's selfishness. But at the end of the day, it's a desire for something that's not there. And the only way to break the cycle of that sin or that addiction is to find out what is it that ultimately I feel like I'm missing. What is it in me that doesn't feel connected to other people that's causing me to look outward for a false replacement? There's something in me that's hurting or missing or lacking. Oftentimes, our deepest issue is loneliness. I say a lot of times, one of the greatest causes of sin in the world is that we feel lonely. We feel lonely because we feel separation from God. We feel separation from God because of our sin. We go and we sin because we feel lonely, and it's a vicious cycle that just keeps going. We feel lonely, we feel isolated, and we won't be vulnerable enough to build real relationships. And people say, well, it's really hard to build friendships. Yes, it is. Because somebody's going to offend you. Somebody's going to violate your trust. And I've known many people go, well, I used to trust people, but not anymore. Really? That's sad, because I can guarantee you someone will violate your trust at some point. And if your standard is, nope, they can't, I can't let people in my life because of this, then you're always going to feel, be chasing something that you can't have. Because the only way we know God is inside community, and if you won't really have community, you might show up, but you don't really engage with people. You're not going to join a small group. You're not going to be accountable to anybody. You're not going to get in there where it gets deep and messy because, well, that's ugly. And if you're not going to do that, then you're always going to be feeling like you're on the outside. You're never going to feel like you're on the inside. People say, you know, I would just really wish I was on the inside of the church. You want to be on the inside? Then show up and build relationships with people. The inside is not like I have a special card. I don't make people take classes. There's no classes for baptism, no classes for communion, no classes for membership. Because as soon as I do that, then there's those that are in and those that are out. And I'm not criticizing other churches that do. I'm just saying, some people have said, why don't we do this? Because what I say all the time is, I want everybody to know they're all on the inside. All you got to do is show up and start building relationship. But that's scary and it's hard. When you're growing up, 
and you're a child, you know how you end up with friends? This kid's the same size that you, as you and your parents know each other. Okay, go play. <laughs> you ever seen that? You go to someone's house, they've never even known each other. Two hours later, they're like fully engaged like best friends. But then they, you grow up and you realize, oh, people hurt you. And people say things. And people do things that I don't like. And now I can't have those relationships and I can't trust people even if they're the same size as me. Or the same whatever. Whatever the demographic is. Because they might hurt me. All of that hurt is a result of sin and it just keeps happening over and over. And then we allow that sin to dictate who we become. When we begin to allow people genuine access to our lives and we're vulnerable, suddenly sin doesn't have a hold the way it once did. Because I can be honest with some people in my life about what's going on in my life, suddenly that sin doesn't have the hold it once did. Because now I can talk about it, and bringing it onto the light is what defeats it. It's what overcomes it. And literally, Jesus talks about being in the light. I'm going to reference that in just a moment. But if we desire to change, we need to understand that there are things that we have to change. I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about generational sins before I wrap up, but Deuteronomy 5, 8 through 10 tells us this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in earth beneath, or is in anything in the water, under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Okay, most of you know that scripture. I did a whole series on the Ten Commandments. It says, then it goes on to say, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, so some people say, if you sin, your children are going to pay the price for your sin. That's not what that's saying. And I've heard that preached, that the reason, well, the reason we have this sin is it's a generational sin. It runs in our family. And no, you're misunderstanding the entire text. Right there with what he's saying, it's, by the way, it's the same ta- passage and tone that's referenced in Numbers chapter 11. It's not a threat that if you sin, your children are going to pay the price. That's not a, what it is. It's a warning regarding our sin. And here's the difference. We break the cycle by breaking our own sin behavior. Because if I am abusive to my children, did you know that if you're abusive to your children, they're five times more likely to be an abuser themselves? But wait, if the grandfather is an abuser and the father is an abuser, they're now 25 times more likely to be an abuser themselves by the third generation. Why? Because it's what they saw, it's what was modeled, and it's now what they think is right and normal. And even when they then learn, oh, I shouldn't respond that way, it's what's ingrained, and it's their go-to nature and habit. If you want your children to do what's right, then model for them what's right. If you say, Jeff, my whole life has been a mess. How do I do it? You start now. You start today. It's the same thing I always say about a tree. When was the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. You know the second best time? Today. You know why I plant trees every year? Because I want there to be trees in 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, 500 years. So I do what I can. Now I realize I plant fruit trees. They're not living 500 years. It'd be awesome if they did. World's oldest fruit tree. We don't know who planted it. But deep down, I would know I had, even though I'm dead. <laughs> but what we do is we begin to model it. And we're vulnerable enough to say, when we learn that what we did was wrong, I shouldn't have done it that way. 
Those words are powerful to the next generation. I shouldn't have done it that way. Not, that's the way my parents did it. So it's really their fault. Still not taking any responsibility for me, my actions, my sin. We can break the cycle of sin, of generational sin, by changing our behavior. It's not a threat, it's a warning. Take it as a warning, not a, if you do this, I'm going to punish your great, 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 great grandchildren, but it's, if you don't change this, the cycle's going to repeat itself. Our relational practices, though you can't make your children relate correctly, our relational practices show them what we really value, and how we relate to people. If I'm a person who's willing to go and help and serve others, that's modeled for my children. If I'm a person who's not willing to do that, that's also modeled for my children. Both good and bad practices are modeled for those that are following after us. And you go, Jeff, I'm an old person. I don't even have children. I don't like kids. Whatever your excuse is, there's still people around you that you're modeling the behavior, and you're modeling who you say you represent. We say we represent Jesus, and are we modeling that to our clients, to our patients, to our customers, to our boss, to our coworkers, to our students, to our friends? Whatever your field is, are you modeling what you say you believe? Are you just going, well, this is just how we've always done it. So why are generational sins difficult to overcome? First off, because it's become a coping mechanism. One of the things they say is uh, when when someone's in therapy is oftentimes something that became a survival technique as a child becomes really unhealthy when you're no longer a child. There are certain things you can do as a kid that we go, oh, that's so cute. You do as an adult and you go, what's wrong with that person? I mean... You know, just think about things that little kids do that we go, oh, that's so sweet. And then you saw somebody 43 in a onesie doing it, and you go, what is wrong? Stay away from, come over here, children. Let's stay away from that man. But it's a coping mechanism. Number two, perspective. It's how we believe that people are intended to relate. Our perspective on things is not always right. Sometimes our perspective is skewed. And when it becomes askew, then we don't really know how or to relate properly with people. Another reason it's difficult to overcome is it's security. It allows us to be, feel safe because it's what we're famil- familiar with. When I go out of my comfort zone to deal with my sin, it's f- unfamiliar territory. Unfamiliar territory doesn't make me feel safe. Just 5,000 years ago, the average person died within 10 miles of where they were born. And that stayed true up until about 250, 300 years ago. That began to change. 250 to 300 years ago, people began to flood to the new world. And that whole model began to change. But then, even once they flooded here, For the first 175 years, we stayed between an ocean and a river. And then we began to venture out, then over the next 100 years, 
the 1800s and 1900s, we began to venture to the other side of that river and going west and expanding. It's not that the land wasn't always there. The land was always there. It's that it's scary to get out of that boat and go a little farther. Even when there's something that's been promised, even when there's something that's good, it's scary. What God has promised in this is something good, but it's still scary. So how do I move forward from this? Understanding and knowing and believing what God says about me in Scripture. I am a new creation. All the old has passed away. I am not bound by, I am not held to, I am new. And I have to walk in that newness, and I have to walk in that newness and believe it daily. Not just once, not just go, well, it's better than it used to be, but knowing I can be new. Not just cleaned up a little bit, but new. Yet I know I'm still going to sin, but the sins of the past and the sins of the generation aren't going to affect me any longer. Learning. At one time, it was not uncommon to simply, when people got old, the old Inuit model of put them on an ice floe and send them off. In Papua New Guinea, more than half of all children that were born and their birth success rate in Papua New Guinea up until modern, the modern era was about 18% was their birth success rate. They lost a little over 80%. And of the 18% that were born, less than half made it to five years old because they couldn't care for themselves. And once it became a burden, you just got rid of them. That was their culture. Oh, this one's too much work. Gone. That's how they also managed to stay small and be small tribal people. Even when they had babies, most of the ones that they got pregnant with didn't survive to birth, and more than half that were born didn't survive to age five. They were expendable, disposable. We don't believe that anymore. We send in modern medicine. We've taught people how to care for them. So we're changing because we're learning. And as we learn, we change and we grow and we become better. Finally, we move forward by us repenting. I can't repent on behalf of generations of sins that were committed in the name of our country. I can't. I can't do it. But what I can do is I can repent for the sins I've committed. And I can change my ways. And I can be open to being loving and kind to all people. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter their socioeconomic. It doesn't matter their whatever I want to put in here as, as why I don't love people. Well, you know what those people are like. You know who, how they are. That falls on me. I can't do anything about past atrocities that were committed, but I don't have to allow myself to continue to repeat those. Someone once said to me, Aren't you embarrassed when your son acts like that? Because my son was crazy as a kid. Crazy. And I look at him now and go, how is this the product of that? We, for three years, my wife and I went to no place. We didn't go to anybody's home that wasn't family. And we went to no restaurants because he was crazy. We thought our lives will never be the same again. But people said, aren't you embarrassed? I said, embarrassed? Why? He's three and you know what he's acting like? a three-year-old. Did we discipline him? Sure. But to discipline him, all you had to do was get down at his eye level, look and say, I'm really disappointed that you did that. And he just burst into tears. With my daughter, believe me, you could put her in an, 
prison camp and not get her to change. She'd have been the one who came out and still did this on day 47 of being in solitary confinement. But him, I'm disappointed. Tears rolling down his cheeks. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been quite so harsh. <laughs> but we didn't go places because of who he was. And yet, I wasn't embarrassed by it. You know why? He was being a three-year-old boy. And he was all boy. And I can't be embarrassed for somebody else. I can be embarrassed by my own actions and my response to things. That's what I can be embarrassed by. So I can't change the past, but you know what? I don't have to repeat it in the future. And I don't care how you were raised. I don't care what you were told was okay to say or do or be like. You have a choice. And you can say, well, that's just the way my family was. Then stop being like that. You don't have to be like that because they were. My grandfather was racist. And a lot of it was because he joined the military in 1946. He lied about his age to get in. And then he went and fought everybody in the world between 46 and 69. We were in wars all over. So he hated everybody because everybody was against us. And in his mind, he was 17. In my opinion, I love the military and I'm glad he served, but he was brainwashed into believing everybody's against us. And then he comes back in 1969 after three tours of Vietnam and 23 years of serving, more than half his life, and he's scared to death of everybody. And so his only defense is to basically hate everybody the moment he got back. And he spent the rest of his life pretty much against anybody who didn't look and act exactly like him. Now I can tell you, the reason I act that way is because my grandfather did. No, because my mom said, we don't say those things, we don't do those things. We can't control him, but we are not like him. We can still love him, but we know his actions are not right. And so when he came to our church in Detroit, he wouldn't come to our church because, believe it or not, in Detroit, there were a few African-Americans in the 70s. And we had a church that was, it's, I didn't know that this was weird, but it was racially diverse. And I look back now and go, wow, that was really trippy because I didn't know. They say churches are the most segregated part of America because whites go to white churches, African-Americans go to African-American churches, Filipinos find a church with their people, uh, Hispanics find a church with their people, gather with their like kind and worship with their like kind. And that's what people do. And I grew up in a church in Detroit that was, we had interracial marriage, which I didn't even know that was a thing that wasn't supposed to happen in the 70s, because I saw it all the time. So I was just like, oh yeah, that's just what people do. But I didn't know it wasn't supposed to be what people did. But my dad would do interracial marriages, and I didn't know there were pastors that didn't. And he's like, yeah, let's get married. You got to meet with me three or four times, and we'll talk about what marriage is. And so I grew up in it, so it became normalized. But it became normalized because my parents said, this is who we are. We really mean that we love all people because we believe that God loved the whole world. And so I say, come on in with our differences and our different shades and our different tones. Nobody's as white as me. Have you seen me without a shirt? Probably not, but it's not pretty, people. <laughs> but this is who we're supposed to be. And if all your friends look like you and sound like you and act like you, then it's probably something you're doing or putting out there. Somebody got upset one time because at a party that we had, we had some openly alternative lifestyle people that were there having dinner with us. And they said, well, how, how do you 
You know, how do you do that and then justify that with your kids? And I was like, because I'm going to love all people right where they're at, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit deal with where they're at, and my job is to love them unconditionally. I'm going to love them simply because they exist, and I'll let the Holy Spirit, through His power, do something instead of me going, you shouldn't do that because I don't like it. You shouldn't be like that because of this or that. And it's time for us as a church to get out of our comfort zone and stop saying, well, we're going to do this with this group, but I'm certainly not going to do that. And start saying, let's sit down and eat with people that don't look like us. You want to break generational sins? You can't go back and fix what your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents did or were like. But you know what? You don't have to repeat it, and you don't have to repeat it forward to the next generation. You can say, Jeff, I'm 78, and I've been like this my whole life. Then stop. All right? And let's move forward and not let, because I was, be who I am. Because I am a new creation. All of that old is passed away. And behold, I have become new. And I am going to love people, and I am going to see people. The first funeral I ever did was for somebody who died of AIDS. And I was 23, and the church was very anti anybody who was gay. And I get asked to do a funeral for my wife's college roommate's brother, whom I'd met, I'd known him for maybe two years. Because at her college graduation, he was supposed to stay with somebody else, and they found out he was gay, and they wouldn't let him stay at their house. And so she says, Jeff, can my brother stay at your house? And I'm like, absolutely, I've got a couch. I'm glad to let him crash. And she's like, he's gay. And I said, okay. Waiting for there to be more. (laughs) And are you okay with that? And I was like, okay. Are you wanting me something more for me? What, do I need to drive him around someplace? What, what, what do you need? I mean, if you're wanting a couch, I got a couch. It can burst to a bed, but it's not any more comfortable. That's, so he stayed with me, and we got to know each other. Then over the next year and a half, I watched him wither, wither away, literally, physically, wither away and die from AIDS. And we would have these deep conversations the last few months of his life on God and justice and on hope and on restoration and on healing and was there forgiveness for the way he had lived his life and the things he had done and, and we just talked honest I have a whole lot of I don't know but I know that God's love is unconditional I know that hope and grace are unconditional and as I'm standing there at age 23 doing a funeral for a person who's 7-8 years older than me surrounded by a community of his friends in San Francisco in a a nursery greenery place. I was overwhelmed, not by the depth of their sin. I was overwhelmed by the love God has for humanity. Because I didn't care who these men on the left and the right were. What I saw was a series of people who, just like you and me, had been broken by the world and by other people not because of their lifestyle, not because of anything else, but because they were human. And we laughed, and we cried, and we told stories about our friend. And I walked out that night. I think I even told my wife, I was like, man, i got to learn to love people more. You guys, that's what we've got to do. You wonder why the world is lost and broken and dark? It's because of sin. You know what the answer is? Loving people into a relationship with Jesus. 
and then allowing the Holy Spirit to deal on whatever their issues and their sins are. And not be, now if people say, hey, what about this? What about that? I always go back to God is God. And he tells us very, Jesus tells us very specifically, you're going to think this person's in, but God's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I could keep giving you scripture references, guys. But over and over, I see it as you don't get to decide. But God says, I love the whole world, and all are welcome to come to me. Doesn't mean I don't believe in judgment. Doesn't mean I'm a universalist. Doesn't mean I don't believe in hell. I believe in those things. But I don't believe it's what we think it is. Because the beauty of grace And if somebody says, oh, I think you're being a little too radical about that, then I often think, I don't think you understand what grace really means. Because if somebody is beyond the grace of God, and you look and you go, they're beyond the grace of God, then you don't understand God, and that's okay. We're all learning this together. John 9, 1 through 9 tells us this. I'm going to end with this scripture and a couple of thoughts. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which, tra- which is translated as scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. And he said, I am he. Sin exists and you are a sinner. But there is hope for each of us as sinners. Salvation is offered freely. Grace is always abundant. And hope for reconciliation with God is real and genuine. The point at which we don't believe that there's hope for someone is the point at which we fail to understand and see who God is. Sin has consequences. Sin has repercussions. Sin can be destructive. But in God's eyes and in God's sight, we are free from that. The reason I read all the way through verse 9 is this. It's a blind man, and he's in a small town, and he's growing up there. And people said, this is he. Others said, oh, he's like him, but he said, I am he. They didn't know their own neighbor who was blind. How many of us don't know the brokenness of the people on our left and our right? See them every day, don't even realize they're in pain, don't even realize they're broken, don't even realize they're in desperate need of somebody to love them. He's in a small town and he's blind and they're not even sure it's the same guy. Might be him, I think it's him. Looks kind of like him, I saw him once. He's broken, how are you not helping him? And yet... People on our left and our right, man, we don't see them because we stay in our own lane and we do our thing. I've had people go, why do we do this for that, you know, for the church in Mexico? There's poor people all around us. We do things for the poor people around us. Every month, we collect food every week. Any week, people can bring food and somebody will deliver it to Transform Burian. People, we have people in our church that volunteer for them every week. We do things for them. 
I would do things for another church. I can't do things for everybody, but you know what I can do? I can build a kitchen at a church in Mexico so that they can have Bible studies in their kitchen and serve food to their people. That happened 13 years ago. Guess what? We're still using that kitchen, and it's still beneficial to our group today. We put windows and siding on a nursery. We paid to do that, and you go, well, Jeff, why are we spending money on a nursery? Why? Because they love babies enough that they said, hey, what we really need is a space for the babies. And I'm like, yes, you do. So it took us two years to get it done, and it might take us a third year to actually complete the building, but it's usable now. It's not painted on the outside. We had to wait till the concrete dries. But you know what? Can't do everything. Doesn't mean we won't partner with somebody. We have 11 different missions organizations that we partner with. We can't do everything, but we can do something to change the world. We've got our local domestic violence shelter that we support every month financially. Why? Because I can't stop domestic violence, but I can give women a safe place to go. Okay? You guys, we can't do everything, but let's make sure that we're doing something. You're not going to stop all sin around you, but let's make sure we're dealing with it in our lives and loving people around us when we have opportunity. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, that we do have the chance to love and to serve those around us. Let that be our hope and our promise. Let that be what we lean on, rely on, and lean into. And God, as we go forward today, let, let us love people genuinely and really. Let it be who we are and how we're defined in your name. Amen. Don't forget, next week, we are service on the lawn. When you arrive here and their doors are locked and there's a sign on the door, please don't not come. Every year it happened, since we moved here, it's happened. People said, oh, I got to the other church and you weren't there, so I just went and had breakfast. Okay. Drive through the jack-in-the-box and then come. And I don't care if you're 15 minutes late and at the end go, yeah, it was that guy who drove to the other building. Please, come out. It's our normal service time, 10 to 11. I keep it a tight one hour because we're on the lawn. There'll be baptisms and you'll smell the barbecue most of the time you're there so you'll be hungry enough that you should want to stay. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.